0: Welcome to another episode of It Takes a Village, a podcast of Healing Hands International based out of Nashville, Tennessee. My name is Taryn Foster and I'm joined by my co-host Mark Gent.
1: What's up, Taryn?
0: Hey, so Mark, tell us about our guests that we're having on today.
1: Jonathan and Shauna Sheehan. Our, our guest today, they live right here in the city, and they are with Urban Promise Nashville. And I'm excited to introduce them to our listeners here at It Takes a Village. Uh, we're going to learn all about their nonprofit that they started a couple of years ago, right as, right after the pandemic started. Yeah, crazy. And just their heart and uh the way in which they serve the refugee community right here Mm -hmm. in our city so we're excited about having jonathan and shauna on today
0: yeah i think you guys are really gonna like this one so sit back and enjoy our conversation with the sheets
1: We want to welcome Jonathan and Shauna Sheehan to the podcast. Thank you guys for coming in. Yeah,
2: thanks for having
1: us. We're gonna get in here here in a minute about Urban Promise and what it's all about. But first of all, we just want to hear about Team Sheehan. So tell us, how, how did you guys meet? Where are you from?
3: So when we, we met when we were thirteen. Uh,
1: are you serious? Yeah, that's.
3: <laughs> wow. So That's awesome.
2: We didn't Uh, just make up a story for the podcast.
3: She said no to the proposal when we were 13. And actually, I mean, yeah, it was a little weird. Um, But we've been, I've been interested in her her since I was 13, (laughs) but it took her 10 years to even notice me. I mean, we were friends, but like there was no like ramping up of interest. Talk about persistence
1: and determination. (laughs) Seriously. And patience. Well, a lot of it was just
3: internal. Like, um, most of the time, like I might date a girl, believe it or not, and then I would say, man, I wish she was more like Shauna. But then I just wouldn't tell anybody that. I'd be like, oh, like she's the girl that I want to be with, but other people wanted to be with her too. And I just didn't think that was an option that was on the table. And then, uh, like a little window opened up and I tricked her into dating me and then like, at 23? His, yeah, 23.
2: Literally. It was 10 years. Yeah. We had our first date 10 years after mm-hmm. meeting. We were mm-hmm. summer camp friends, so we saw each other every summer. He was like my favorite guy, guy. friend, yeah. my little friend Jonathan. He yeah. was shorter yeah. than yeah. me yeah. and for <laughs> for a while, <laughs> probably till we got to college. And then we went to the same college. And several years into college still, it was when we had our first date.
1: Well, tell us, um, tell us, let's get to know you a little bit. How long have you been in Nashville? Tell us about your family. You've got four kids. Um, yeah, let's go down that road.
2: We have been in Nashville since 2001, so longer than anywhere else at this point in our lives. It feels like home. And three of our kids were born here. We have three boys that are all in high school, and we have one daughter that was not born here. She was born in Uganda, and she's been here for about six six and a half years
1: when we were talking about who to have on in the podcast for different reasons uh, you guys came up and we've been talking about this for several months we are honored to have you on it takes a village we think what you're doing with urban promise that we're going to talk about now fits in so well with our podcast and our audience and what we're doing
0: so now to get into urban promise Mm -hmm. what were you both doing
2: professionally before. I worked for Mission Lazarus. So I worked for them, I think it was about seven years, mostly stateside, but I got to go to Honduras and Haiti both a few times and mm-hmm. loved my time in those countries and just working for Mission Lazarus and learned so much from them.
3: And I'm a longtime educator, so I've been in schools for 20, 25 years or so. And I've, part of my career, I was teaching elementary school. Part of my career, I served as a math coach at a private school in town and then most recently i was an elementary school principal at lipscomb academy for eight years
0: okay wow so can y'all walk us through the transition from those
2: jobs to urban promise how did that happen how did that happen by the time we left our jobs in 2020 uh, about three years up to that point we had been working um, within the refugee community in Nashville. Just through our time, like kind of on our own, our family, you know, walking alongside several, uh, individuals and families within the refugee community just really felt like God was pulling us deeper into that ministry. Just, again, really long, beautiful story of how God worked and God pulled our hearts, um, Deeper into that community, but yeah, we felt like he was calling us to step away from what we were doing uh, by the beginning of 2020, and so...
0: So pandemic, so this was in the middle of that. Yeah. Was that, were there a lot of hoops to go through with that? Well,
3: I mean, so I would kind of back up a little bit and say fall 2019, I I knew that God was asking me, us, just to do something else, and Mm -hmm. I I couldn't really describe it. I mean, like there was Mm -hmm. some restlessness that was beyond just professional restlessness. I mean, there was a real um, moving of the Spirit that I had a hard time even like grasping and holding on to. And then God made some things just apparent to me personally in December, early December 2019. And so I came to Shauna, and I knew that she was wanting to step out in, in, in faith in some way and that I was feeling convinced that we needed to do the same thing. But I wasn't sure what that was. And this is before pandemic. And I actually think I was really gracious. Um, and, and I'll just think about it from my perspective, from the standpoint of like, it would have been hard for me to leave in the middle of a pandemic and not feel guilt or like I'm abandoning something. Mm-hmm. So I, I made some real commitment at the beginning of December and through January with my wife and said, Shauna, like, I'm, I think I'm going to leave and she's like yes let's do this and yes and i wasn't sure what that was going to be and then pandemic hits and you know i I felt really compelled to help to kind of navigate those early waters of the pandemic when everything was unknown but at the same time i knew that like i was not going to be around for it and so i think there was some difficulties there but it's not like we said strategically This is the best time to start a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. nor was it in response to, oh, this is like we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's a group of people who are hurting from the pandemic. It was more of a God already told told us we're going to do something different. Mm -hmm. Okay, now walk towards that in spite of all the things that might be happening around us.
0: It just happened to be during <laughs> right, a right, global pandemic. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, it's it's like it's a part of the story, but it's not like the central part of the story. I mean, God, right. God is obviously the main character in that story, and the fact that there's a pandemic really kind of shines more glory upon Him. In the fact that we were able to get a nonprofit up and off the ground, mm-hmm. in spite of. Some of those hurdles, including a global pandemic, when most, most people, including churches, they not only were they not giving out money, they weren't even meeting. Like they, they, they were right. like considering, like, how are we going to exist? Or mm-hmm. people, people were um, thinking, like, now's not the time to like give away yeah. extra money. Now would be the time, to like, just to hunker down, Re- regardless of generosity, regardless of their own generosity. They just say, we're not sure what's next. Let's mm-hmm. wait, mm-hmm. and. Sean, what would you
2: add? Yeah, I was just gonna say the day he had tried to have the meeting for several weeks to tell his boss that he was leaving. And when the meeting finally happened was that Thursday, as many people probably remember, that Trump like everything shut, shut down. down. Everything mm-hmm. shut down. Yes. Flights canceled, the whole world almost it seemed like shut down. Mm. And that's the day that he told them that he wasn't coming back. And not only that, they were like, "Man, we're sorry to lose you, but what's next for you?" And his answer was, "I don't, I don't even know."
1: It's like he came home that night. It's like, "Hey, how'd your day go?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I turned in my resignation, yeah. and the whole world yeah. shut down. That's right. nonprofit. Great
2: global pandemic <laughs> and right. global economic crisis, yeah. but but that I mean, I think I can't speak for him. I know it was nerve-wracking, but we were both so sure that that's what God was calling us to do, that it it actually wasn't scary because we were sure that He was going to take care of us.
1: What a step of faith, and I remember the weeks leading up to that. We didn't know the pandemic was coming at that point, but I remember turning around and you were sitting behind me at church Mm. one morning and something was stirring in you, Mm. and I didn't know what. But I remember Shauna just said, would you pray for Jonathan? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was evident at that point that God was stirring something in you, what was next. And I would say as a friend Mm -hmm. and as somebody on the outside looking in, I'm not surprised at where that went Mm -hmm. because I I knew where your heart was Mm -hmm. and what you had been into the last few years as you serve our community. Mm -hmm. So let's get into what is Urban Promise. So for (laughs) our listeners who we're now, um, I think this is episode 15, and we have done a lot of focus on healing hands and churches and other nonprofits. So for this episode, we invited the Shins to come on so that we could spotlight Urban Promise because we want our listeners to become aware of what's happening right here around us. And for you guys, your ministry is here local. Mm -hmm. It's really a global ministry. Mm -hmm. And so tell us like the backstory of Urban Promise before the spring of 2020, like where God started stirring in your hearts, the local refugee community. And I don't want to tell those stories for you because you can Mm -hmm. tell them better uh, about what happened a few years before that. But give us that backstory to Urban Promise about how it got started.
3: Sure. Sure. Yeah. So Urban Promise as an organization is much larger than Urban Promise Nashville. And matter of fact, that network or that structure is what helped accelerate UPN's existence today. Um, so, like, there, there is one thing to think about, like, we're gonna like build a nonprofit from scratch, but then there's a whole other thing if, like, you have some support in doing that. So, Urban Promise was started in Camden, New Jersey several years ago in a very organic way in an area. Uh, called Camden, New Jersey. I right outside right outside of Philadelphia, and it was to serve those who were underserved, those who didn't have a voice. Uh, and the founder, Bruce Maine, moved from California. Said he was going to do it for a little bit. And has been doing it for 35 thirty five years. Over thirty, yeah, over thirty years, and he just said, "I want to help serve this community," um, and he did that through summer camps, through after school programs, through academic support, through. Um, family engagement like there was just like whatever was needed he was willing to put some structure around it to get it done um, and then from that there's this interesting thing that happened after, after they've been doing it for a few years some of their youth graduated high school um, or actually no some of their elementary school started graduating the program the program was only for elementary schools and then the high school kids were just hanging around and they said well they know the songs better they, they understand the games maybe we should just employ them And then they began to employ these high school students to help lead the program. And so in a really organic way, they established a model where they employ and empower high school students from the neighborhood to be peer mentors and leaders for the elementary and middle school students in that same neighborhood. And in essence, that's the model that we've adopted for Nashville, but specifically for the refugee population. One of the things that happens in Nashville in particular and really all over the country is that uh, immigrants or those from other countries and refugees begin to believe the lie that they don't have a voice in this country. That if they don't get to speak in their heart language and they have to speak this second language, that when when they're asked to do that, they often just stay quiet. Mm -hmm. Many of them may not have a shy personality, but they say they are shy, that they don't say much at school. Not because they don't have things to say, but because they believe that's the way to survive. And that's one of the things that we're trying to um, dispel in those students, is that you do have a voice, and we're going to give you an opportunity to use that voice by hiring high school refugees to work in an after-school program for for, um, elementary school kids, or summer camp for elementary school kids, and... We are biased towards them leading as much as possible. Like, what kind of games should we play? We want them to come up with that. Okay, now you lead it. And then we say, all right, here's how you can lead better. So even yesterday, we had some training from an EL coach who works with us. uh, And she was teaching them how to lead a lesson on courage we're teaching the kids about courage. Like, what does courage mean? How do you lead a lesson on courage so that it's really clear so the kids can come away with something? Or if you're in the gym, how do you project your voice? How do you explain the rules? How do you enforce the rules in a way that makes it still fun? Like, these are things that sometimes come intuitive to adults, sometimes they don't. Uh, Teachers often learn how to do that, but these kids are learning how to do that. And and there's this fascinating thing that happens. You know, I've I've been in education for a long time. And so if you put... 30 kids in a room guess who knows what to do like I'm raising my hand like I'm I know how to handle kids but they're not asking to hear from me like they want to hear from Carla or August or Edda or Innocent because they have shared experiences because they look up to them
1: Jonathan what you're talking about the empowering the equipping them to become leaders I mm-hmm. love that mm-hmm. um three words that we use here in the office is aid equip and power. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the heart of who you are and what you do. Shauna, what thoughts do you have in regards to um, how it got started, the stirring that God put in your heart when you and your family started serving this Mm -hmm. population?
2: Yeah, so when we started it, we had been working within the community for three or so years. So uh, around late twenty sixteen, early twenty seventeen Um, God just began to put a burden on my heart for displaced people and refugees. And at the time, I didn't know any. I knew that we probably had some in Nashville, but I had no idea what the refugee community looked like in Nashville. I didn't know a single refugee. So through months of like having doors closed in my face, (laughs) pretty much, Um, and just kept praying about it for the Lord to just like show me how you want me to get involved. Through a mission trip with my three oldest, my boys, in the summer of 2017, we went to visit um, a suburb of Atlanta called Clarkston, and it's the most diverse square mile in the country. Since 9-11, just refugees have poured into this tiny little town, and so I had been on several mission trips before. Jonathan and I have always had a heart for the nations and for serving um, globally. And that mission trip in my hometown really of Atlanta was the most impactful mission trip I've ever been on just because we went and learned alongside, we really didn't go and serve necessarily. We went and just learned alongside a group of people that were serving that refugee community so well. Just tons of lay people that it wasn't even an official, you know, big ministry of the church that we were working alongside, but it was just a bunch of people who had seen the need in their own neighborhood, in their own community, and started different things like teaching English classes, um, teaching vocational school, uh, skills and like an outdoor kind of summer VBS program that a bunch of high school kids went and did every week. And so I, I just, I felt like the Lord, like really just opened my eyes to, you know, this is what you can do in your own community. So I came back from that trip and was just on fire. I still honestly did not know one single refugee <laughs> in Nashville Um, But on fire, like, okay, this is where he is just setting my heart to serve this community. So within a couple weeks after coming back from that, I was in a conversation with somebody and um, just had told him about the trip. And he was like, oh, you should come to this Bible study that I'm a part of every week. It meets at this apartment complex, which just happened to be five minutes from our house. And I didn't even know this apartment complex existed. And it was made up mostly of refugee middle schoolers and high schoolers, mostly boys. So that sounded, yes, that was an easy yes for me. I I went home and told Jonathan about it and said I would like for us to, you know, with our kids, for a whole family to start going to that. And so we did. Um, that was fall of 2017. So that was kind of like our really fast intro into the refugee community in Nashville. We went and we really poured into that group in particular for about three years and just got to know a lot of those teens and started walking closely with some of them and Walking closely with their family, um, so that's really like how it started. So during that time, we began to see some needs that just kind of seemed to be common within, you know, anybody that came here that completely gave up everything, um, coming here not knowing the language, not knowing the culture. You know, several of the students we were working with had interrupted education, like they may have been in a refugee camp and that they couldn't go to school, they didn't have access to school, or you know, on the run, they were on the run for a few years. So you know, that was a huge need that we saw was just maybe being put into high school as a freshman or a sophomore, but literally only having three years of schooling their entire life up to that point. So we were just trying to work as hard as we could with the school system, It's one huge system Mm. that doesn't necessarily, is not able to meet the needs of every single student. So they're just trying to get through high school, get them through high school, not necessarily filling in all those gaps that they missed. Um, Another need that we saw was just a lack of mentorship. It's not that their parents don't care. uh, They care deeply, but they're working second and third shift, and sometimes 30, you know, not 30, 60 hours a week, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, and they're just not there. They're not around. So we saw that a lot of these kids were just longing for um, just somebody to look up to. Every refugee comes with significant amounts of trauma because of what they've been through to get to
3: that point. You know, think about that. It's really hard to go to school if you're running for your life. And even if even if there was a school to be had, which physically there can't be, you're not necessarily open to learning new things because you're in full survival mode. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is is that there, there are a lot, there's a varying scale of trauma. Sometimes people like to say little T or big T trauma because they just don't have any other way to categorize it. And everybody has some kind of trauma. But imagine having to forego not just your house but everything you know about what you've grown up with, including people. You know, often the people who are refugees don't come here with all of their aunts and uncles and both sets of grandparents and cousins. I mean, often it's a fractured family that comes here and as a part of this incredibly traumatic experience. You know, refugees are smart. Parents care Deeply about them. They want to succeed and do well. Confessionally, when Shauna said in 2017, let's go to a refugee Bible study, I was like, sure. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, man, I'm at full capacity. I think, I think what this is going to open up because I could see the fire and and sniff out kind of where she was hoping we would invest more time. It's like, what are the things that are going to be presented to me particularly, I, mean, I admit, I was like, I, I don't know if I have capacity for this. As soon as we stepped into that Bible study, there's two things that happened. One is, this is not a typical youth group. Like These boys and girls were hungry for more of the Lord in ways that I had not seen before. And two, they were wanting to, like they deeply wanted help. And they, it wasn't like help as in, can you give us something financially? Can you give us a bike? We need a new bike. It was, can you help me with school? And it was in that in that natural process of saying, let's try to help. Like, we want to be helpful. That these needs laid out before us that it was, schools are trying to help. But when you have a seven-year gap, it's really difficult to tell a freshman in high school, here's a second grade picture book. Or when you have real trauma, no matter how much time the school counselor has or how much training they have, they need more support than that. And so the knees kept laying before us. But when they laid before me in particular, I thought, I don't know what to do with that. And so when God said, I want you to leave your job, and I said, yes, sir, just tell me what to do. He, he just said, I want you to leave. And then that's when there was a moment in February when I was feeling kind of the weight of what's next and the weight of all the things that were happening that she and Shawn is really well. Like she reads me and she says, I'm gonna take you away. And I was like, okay, where are we gonna go?
2: This is 2020. And this February, is 2020. February
3: 2020. February 2020. And and she's and we picked all these places and, and it just so happened like one of the cheapest places to go comparatively was Honduras.
2: Yeah, I the thought of Honduras popped in my head in the middle of the night. I had been, like I said, several times. Jonathan had never been. I thought I remembered at that moment that our friend Blair, who runs, uh, founded and runs Urban Promise Honduras, that he had said a few weeks before that that he was planning to go, planning a trip down there in a few weeks. So... I texted him. Um, I was like, hey, didn't you say you were going to Honduras? So he was, and he had invited us so many times. So he was ecstatic at the possibility that we might go. So, anyway, we ended up going. It was not at all, you know, he had told us about Urban Promise, you know, this thing that he did, this thing that he started in Honduras several years before that. He had told us about it for years. And we just, we thought, well, wow, that's so amazing that you do that. Sounds really cool. Um, So we went, we were only on the ground for like three days, but we just got to see Urban Promise Honduras, which is in the beautiful little town of Copan on the northern uh, border with Guatemala. We got to see Urban Promise just in action. And it was just, I mean, obviously now, but it was a life-changing three days in Honduras. And the, the beauty of what was happening there, I think, really just struck both of us. And I mean, the whole reason that Blair, our friend, is able to live here in Nashville now is because the model works, like the model of raising up young local leaders and empowering them to lead, like that's what's happening on the ground. So he, he has a, a pretty large hunt, all-hunter and staff, that now completely lead everything on the ground and so that he's able to move back here and work on you know fundraising and all kind of fun stuff so we came back from that i came back from that trip pretty much knowing that that was what god was calling us to do in nashville and funny enough jonathan came back from that trip wanting to move to (laughs) (laughs) Honduras. So it wasn't still like, oh, we came back, you know, and by the time he actually quit in March, like, we had it all set up. We knew what we were doing. It was still several months of just really going before the Lord in prayer um, and just asking him what he wanted us to do. I was not trying to push it on Jonathan, obviously, at all, but would bring it up every now and then about, like, this just seems to fit perfectly with, you know, what we've already been doing Within the refugee community, and the specifically the the teenagers um, and the needs that we saw, like just the model, just seemed to fit pretty perfectly. And and hit, you know, I had mentioned starting a nonprofit for months before that even. And Jonathan's answer was like, "That's great! I'm excited for you to start a nonprofit." Um, and uh-huh. I just, I just kept saying, "But I need you to do it." So
3: I have this dream. It, and now you go do it.
2: Yeah. So it just showed that's- us what was possible without having to completely start from scratch and reinvent the wheel. And you know, so that's how, that's kind of where Urban Promise came in. Um,
3: yeah. I mean, I'd say looking back, that particular trip was the bucket. To put all of hopes and dreams and needs and angst and confusion. Like, it was just a place to, like, just say, well, let's just put this in the book because it fit. And yeah, it was a really
2: sweet points.
3: time. Um, and it wasn't, like, revelatory, as in, and so therefore, now we're going to start a chapter. I mean, like, God's still, you know, it, I've sometimes think, and I don't know if this is a truism, but I've seen God in my own life, like, work like people text. It's either the answers come immediately or it's like, Three days later, three months later—it's like long or it's short. There's no in between. And for, for us, like it took some marinating, even for me personally, to get to a point like we're going to start a nonprofit and we're going to do this together.
1: And it sounds like that trip, looking back, was kind of your stake in the ground moment. Of when you look back at, mm-hmm. as God was stirring in you, you can tangibly point back to that trip. Mm-hmm. Where you came home and you knew, okay, this is the direction we're going. Yeah,
3: and I would actually kind of add to that. I mean, I, I I think that's true for this. I think it's just kind of true in my life when I've taken time to intentionally be away with the Lord, with my wife or by myself, for the purpose of seeking Him, whether I'm seeking an answer or not. Like those are stake in the ground moments. Mm-hmm. We went to we went there. Not even like to seek like rest, but it was more of like, how can we go to a place to get away from the noise of the world, whatever that is, so that we can seek the Lord together and see what happens, you know. And, and you know the result from that trip was, and that was a great trip. I don't know what's next, but now we can say, as you mentioned, Mark, like there there was a stake in the ground. I just didn't know what it was yet. Mm-hmm. I just knew it was there was something about that that was going to lead to something else, and and I like most people like I like to, I don't like the unknown. Like the, you know, most people are uncomfortable with the first parts of COVID because we don't know what this thing is. What are we going to do? And, and you, you hunker down, you, you don't, you don't know the answer. And so I, when people would come to me and say, what are you doing next? And I said, I don't know. People would say, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> like <laughs> I think what you should do is you should know. And I'm like, I'm oh, me too. But I don't know yet. Like I'm still seeking the Lord on that. And you know, I, I, people sometimes like to talk about, wow, that's amazing you did that. And I would like to say to that, like, it was still hard. And it wasn't like there was this, it was a full amusement park experience of wrestling with the Lord to figure out what's next. But like the fruit of it was worth it um, just going yeah. through that. And that's even true with what we're doing. You know, I, I think there's a storybook version of Urban Promise Nashville that's like, man, it's beautiful, and we love that. We love that we're writing, uh, that God's writing that story through us. But along with that, like it is, there are difficulties in working with those who are undeserved
0: mm-hmm. and
3: and underheard.
0: That's amazing that y'all are doing that, and you can do that. Um, and I know you kind of dipped your toe in this a little bit, but if you could give our listeners and even me, like, what would you say the definition of a refugee is? It's something that I think all of us think we know, but we don't actually. Yeah. So, 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 yeah.
3: so embedded with that in that word, refugee is refuge, right? Like, if, yeah. I, if I was in a fourth grade English class right now, I was like, what are the words you hear within refugee? Um, and hopefully, some kid would say refuge. Like, anybody who's seeking refuge. Because they they have to, they are forced to leave their home because of war, persecution, violence, or natural disaster. And so, a, a refugee is somebody who comes to this country often by way of refugee camp. And so, refugees have actually hit the news. Like the refugees have been happening for a long time, right? When we say refugee crisis, often the answer, the question, next question should be like, which one? What refugee crisis are you talking about? Mm -hmm. But the one that's getting the most um, spotlight right now is Ukraine. And so what's happening is all Ukrainians are moving away from Russia and trying to find refuge in Poland and other neighboring countries. But that's a temporary solution that could turn into a more permanent solution if they can become citizens or find work or get out of that temporary camp. Some of those will go to other countries that are welcoming refugees. So America is one of those countries, mm-hmm. and and we um, sometimes welcome a lot, sometimes welcome a little, um, but we've pretty consistently through our history been a country where we've welcomed the foreigner, those who are seeking refuge, into our country, and that's how I mean, that's what the Statue of Liberty is about, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that that's this wave of immigration that happened a long time ago. Many of them were immigrants and some were refugees that were seeking refuge and a different life and safety here.
2: So how do they find you? So we work directly with schools. Mm-hmm. That's mainly, you know, some of some of our students that we're serving are through personal relationships that we already have with refugee families. But the majority of them, uh, come through just some schools that we've developed partnerships with since we started.
3: So we serve, we serve about 40 elementary school refugee students who go to three different elementary schools, Tusculum Elementary, Haywood Elementary, and Cole Elementary. And that's all within the southeast cluster. And then we hire high school students. We have nine, ten high school um, street leaders is what we call them. And they're from all over. Some lead southeast, some go to Overton, some go to Glencliffe, some go to Antioch. Um, and the countries they represent are also all over. Um, so you've got Southeast Asia with the Karen population. There's a pretty high concentration of Karen people who are here, which is a small group of people from Burma um, that were persecuted, and found themselves in Thailand, and now there's... For whatever reason, many of them have resettled here in Nashville. So we have quite a few Korean, uh, African, so it would be Congolese, Rwandan,
2: Uganda, Uganda. Um,
3: Sudanese. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, the, we have hired and served some of those students. Uh, we have a student, you can add to this, we have a student from Honduras.
2: Honduras. We have one uh, whose family's from El Salvador. We have one very recent one from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and then those are our street leaders, the high school students, and then our elementary students are from a lot of those same countries with the addition of Kurdistan, Syria, Somali. So it's kind of a really Mm -hmm. broad range, which we love. We love the diversity.
3: As we were talking, I was even thinking about like the beginning of Acts when the Holy Spirit came in a very visible way, and the tongues of fire were sitting on each of the apostles, and how the miracle that was displayed through the Holy Spirit was not everybody understood one tongue. Mm-hmm. It was that the apostles each spoke different languages, and everyone heard that native language, and in their own native language, they heard the story of the gospel. And I see that as this testimony that God loves the nations. He's looking to elevate um, and celebrate each individual mm-hmm. culture. You even see that at the end of Revelation, right? Mm-hmm. The end of Revelation is every tongue, every nation is going to bow before Jesus. And with that, like we see this opportunity. That you have this tapestry of nations that come together um, in a way that displays unity and hope but also declares that Jesus is lord now you do not have to we're not we're not um, trying to twist somebody's arm to be a part of our urban promise Nashville and say you got to be a Christian you have to say this statement of faith you have to sign off on this thing anybody can come but we are also not shy that we love Jesus mm-hmm. that we are doing this because of Jesus like we're very upfront with that Um, And that would include like those who might have different faiths, including Muslim. We will have intentional conversations with Muslim families and say, we would love your children to be a part of our program. We also talk about Jesus. And and the components of the program include academic intervention, social-emotional learning, community building time. We marry the character of Jesus with social-emotional competency, so we teach social emotional learning through the character of Christ. But with that, like we're up front and saying, like, Jesus is going to be woven into the daily things that we do. Um, and we've had many families say, great. like Can you help them with math?
1: So let's drill down as far as some of the specific programming that Urban Promise does. I mean, it's all about the relationships. Mm-hmm. and But as you've developed it, um, you have created certain aspects of the ministry that have been really impactful for these teens, from training the street leaders to the Trekkers program mm-hmm. to the summer program that you do. Tell us a little bit, just a little bit about each one of those so that our mm-hmm. listeners have an idea of um, how those components make up Urban Promise mm-hmm. Nashville.
2: So this, I would say the simple way to put what we do to somebody who has no idea is that we have an after-school program for r- refugee students uh, grades K through five. So that's just after-school program. Everything we do at the after-school program we do just on a much like deeper level with those high school students which we call the street leaders. So we give them on-the-job training, we Give them leadership development we give them academic support college counseling uh, college prep um, act tutoring so we really try to pour into them and develop them as leaders and helping them be the best versions of themselves you know making sure that they know they have a purpose that they don't need to just as jonathan mentioned keep their heads down just make it through high school that we really see um just a lot of potential in these street leaders to really change the next generation and really um hopefully spread the message of of the gospel and just be jesus within their families and their neighborhoods and their communities and wherever they they end up
3: one of the things that you know, I've, I've begun to ask myself, is like, why do street leaders stay street leaders? One of the reasons why is specifically because of mentors. Um, and so every street leader is paired with an adult mentor, and as a part of our own spiritual formation with them, um, they're challenged each week to just to try something new, pray for ten minutes a day, sit in silence with God for a few minutes a day, um, read the Bible like, together, something you know every day, just do like a little something. Um, and they're doing that with a mentor. And so they're walking through the spiritual journey of becoming more like Jesus or being with Him with a trusted adult who cares about them. That is, that is, um, been an incredible add to our culture. Like, if you came on Thursdays to see what we do with training, which is really spiritual training, like it's not job training, leadership training, it is we're gonna like get with our mentor and learn more about God and with God and from God. Like you would say, man, these people are happy. Like they re- actually really enjoy each other. And and I smile, you can't see me smile, but I smile at that because like I think, man God, that's pretty amazing that you were able to create a culture like this so quickly. Mm -hmm. that we have volunteer mentors who are willing to invest in these street leaders, these high school students who, when we hired them, so many of them were in a shell and they've come Mm -hmm. out of that shell. And, you know, on Thursdays was when we do our spiritual formation Thursday nights happen. And like, there's embracing of mentors. Like you just saw them recently. Like they're so happy to see each other. And in addition to that is trekkers. Like, so we have an, outdoor leadership program called urban trekkers that's a part of being a street leader it's not a requirement but it's a part of being a street leader and so we go hiking we go camping we go rock climbing we do all we just do a whole bunch of stuff outdoors Um, because we see that uh, walking alongside somebody in a real literal way is a great way to get to know them
1: shauna tell us about the summer camps
2: last year metro schools decided to do summer school for kids. And that was the first year, that was first year we existed in the summer and the first year that Metro had done that. So uh, they're actually doing that again this year. So for June, it will still kind of look like a a continuation of just what we're doing after school uh, program, um, since a lot of the kids will be in summer school for the month of June. And then in July, and what we did last year in July was more of a a fun like full day camp experience.
0: So there are a lot of places that could benefit from this model, but why, why refugees in particular?
2: Well, it's a good question. Just talking about Nashville in particular for a minute, there are 60,000 refugees in Nashville, over 60,000, and so when we say that number and we were those people just a few years ago. But when we say that number, a lot of times people are just like, do you mean 6,000? We're like, no, right. 60. It's a lot. I that's mean, it's, a lot. Nashville's I would not a huge, that. huge city, and that's a pretty large number. Mm-hmm. And that's not even including you know, immigrants, um, asylum seekers. That's just purely people that are officially here on refugee status. And so what we saw in walking with that community for all those years is that they're really was nothing like what we are doing and addressing the things, at least on the level that we are addressing them. We did not see that anywhere.
3: The picture that comes to mind is the proverbial lunch table moment in high school. Like, you know, who am I going to sit with? What we vision, vision is like you have this group of people who are saying, who do I sit with? And we're saying, sit with us. Like we eat a lot together. We invite a lot of people in. And the reason I mention this is because we have current street leaders who are inviting other prospective street leaders based on that fact alone. Oh, you don't have community? You should come be a street leader in Urban Promise Nashville. Mm-hmm. that's actually happened repeatedly. They'll say, can I have a friend come? Are you hiring more street leaders? I know, I know somebody in my Spanish class. How well do you know him? I don't know him all that well. He just seems like he's lonely. Mm-hmm. We'd love to invite him in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the, like, wh- like why refugees? That's one reason. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're looking for somebody to eat lunch with.
2: Yeah. And we think, like, it's just such a picture of biblical welcome. I mean, God, throughout time, uh, with the Israelites, commanded his people over and over and over again to welcome the stranger, to love the foreigner as you love yourself. You know, Jesus's example of who he hung out with and who he brought into his inner circle were not the people that you would expect. And we love creating a space of welcome for people, just a place where they can come and feel safe and loved and feel like this is where I belong, like this place has been created just for somebody like me when they don't have that anywhere else.
3: In a world of high school where exclusion seems the norm, mm-hmm. we find that many of our high schoolers are leading by being inclusive. Yeah, And we love that. Yeah.
1: Talk to us about, I mean, the, the recent world events. I mean, back in the, in the summer and the fall with uh, what happened in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and we know so many people were displaced or were fleeing the country. Right now, right before very eyes, uh, the four plus million people mm-hmm. that have fled the Ukraine. I mean, ten percent of their country's population has now uh, fled their country. Yeah, and it's two months ago, they they had no idea this moment was coming. Um, tell us about uh, how that's impacting you personally, like mm-hmm. emotionally, spiritually. Mm-hmm. But then, how how's that going to impact? urban promise here mm. tangibly?
2: Yeah. Uh, so just starting with Ukraine, I mean, I think we're too early into it to necessarily know kind of the, the future of where those refugees might land. Um, I think it's safe to say that we will get some in the U.S. and potentially in Nashville. I think, you know, just as you mentioned, just watching it is just completely just devastating and heartbreaking to watch. Afghanistan is a little bit different because we're a little bit farther out from that. I think, you know, for me personally, watching all that unfold in August was, uh, that hit me harder, I think, than anything, any other kind of global crisis, at least since I've really been paying attention in the last several years, that just hit me harder than any other one has. And I I don't really know for sure the reason. I think I can probably see now how God has been working in our life since then and over the last probably three months. You know, Nashville has welcomed at this point within an incredibly short amount of time, we've welcomed, I think the number is close to 600 Mm -hmm. Afghans, which is, I think, there were maybe less than a hundred afghans living in nashville up to that point so that's a huge number not of just not even of just afghans it's just a huge number of refugees to accept in a very short amount of time and then i just heard i think last week that we're we're accepting a few hundred more in the next maybe four to six months and so God has already been opening doors there. We've already been able to meet several Afghan families just through kind of helping out with another uh, resettlement organization called NICE here in Nashville and started delivering food to those families just because they were completely overwhelmed, didn't have enough people to to help uh, just meet the needs of all these new individuals that were coming. So we, over the Christmas break, got to start delivering food on a weekly basis to families and... They are, we know a lot of hospitable people, especially within the refugee community, but I'll say I've never met a more hospitable people than the Afghans, and so we quickly just began some really beautiful friendships with them, and our, you know, being able to walk with some of them has just been really beautiful and heartbreaking, I mean, just the the realness or the closeness, the acuteness of the trauma that they have experienced. You know, I haven't been around anybody that has come from such direct trauma and tragedy as they have. You know, so many people that we work with spent years in a refugee camp. And not that that wasn't incredibly hard, but that was years away from the most significant trauma and tragedy that they experienced. But, you know, Afghans were living a pretty normal life, just, you know, now maybe six to eight months ago, just months, weeks before they got to the US. So that has been something really different um, to sit with them and to hear their stories. and. A lot of them, honestly, that are here without their families. I mean, just so many single young women in particular that has been overwhelming just to think about their situation and even kids without parents here that are here with, like, maybe an aunt or an uncle. Um, so really, like, just trying to pray through that and figure out what God has for us there. Um besides obviously just, you know, building personal relationships. But how can Urban Promise really serve that community in particular that is that is here uh, so quickly without any kind of warning or preparation and finds themselves um, just longing for community that they've had to give up and, and, like, actual family that they've had to give up.
1: So we have these two specific examples that have happened recently with Afghanistan and the Ukraine but this is not something new
2: Mm -mm.
1: and this is not something that's gonna stop today or tomorrow this is not a crisis that is going to end with a solution to a problem right give us some thoughts around that
2: you know this is what's on the news now um sadly I've noticed that Afghanistan really isn't even making the news cycle anymore, and I even just saw something last night about Ukraine. It was like a statistic of people that were searching um, on search engines about Ukraine has already dropped as of yesterday to the same, you know, number that it was in January, so before the war even started, Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of just like what our media cycle does. It's just like it's in front of you right now, and that, may be gone in a few weeks, even even if the, the tragedy, the crisis is not gone. Um, you know, four years ago, it was Syria. And so to me, like no, you're right. it's not gonna it's not gonna stop happening. This will happen until I believe that Jesus returns. and so it just from a different perspective, Just looking at it as you know, part of our call as followers of Jesus is what, how do we respond to people that are in these situations, to these crises? And we respond by loving them, by sharing Jesus with them. It's when Paul was preaching to the Thessalonians, and uh, I think it says, you know, God determined beforehand the times and boundaries of the peoples and so just thinking about that and thinking that none of these people are here on accident you know you know all of us probably I don't know have been on international trips on service trips and there's this incredible opportunity that God has brought these people here in our own neighborhoods like you know there are so many just unreached people groups, not not all refugees for sure um, are unreached people groups, but there are a huge number of unreached people groups, you know, Afghans being one of them right here on our doorstep. And so that's really just heavy on my heart is just how we are responding to people that have found themselves in a new place and among the people of God and how we are treating them, how we are sharing with them, how we are just showing them a different way. You know, they've just been through incredible circumstances. And for us to be able to show them who Jesus is and how his people respond and how different from the world we are, I think it's a really beautiful opportunity for, for Christians.
3: So I, I think we would please Satan, um, nothing would please Satan more. And to take these foreigners who've come into this foreign land and just say, you have no value, stay quiet, right? And one of the themes that you see through Scripture is that God loves taking the refugee and the immigrant and putting them in another culture and then giving them voice and a position of leadership. So where do you see that? Moses, Joseph, Esther, Daniel, it happens over and over and over again. Like, what is God saying? God is saying that he loves to use a refugee or an immigrant in a way to further his name and for his glory, right? So one of our purposes, this is a really simplified version, is to help the students that we served not only to see that they have gifts, but to help them unwrap those gifts, to open up those gifts, to take the gift out of the box and then begin to use it. What a tragedy it is. How ridiculous would it be if in Christmas we gave our kids all these gifts and they just stared at them? I We would all say that's ridiculous. But what we're saying is, you have a gift. Let's walk with you to unwrap them and then see what God does. Because we don't fully know what's in the box. But when he opens that up and begins to use it, All of a sudden, we have a modern-day Esther on our hand in the city of Nashville, sparking a revival in their neighborhood, which spreads throughout the entire city. That doesn't have anything to do with us. Like, I'm excited to see what God is going to do in the future, not with Jonathan and Shauna, not with Urban Promise Nashville, but the people that are a second grader, a fifth grader, and a ninth grader, that are in the program right now.
0: Yeah, and as you look three to five years down the road, so what is your vision for... For UPN, what are your hopes and what are your dreams?
3: Well, I, you know, it's not our goal to create a mega UPN. Era. Really, we want to create these small pockets throughout Nashville of Urban Promise sites. About 50 kids, 10 street leaders at each of these sites in these neighborhoods that have a high concentration of refugees. So our hope is in with three to five years, we would have two, three, four different sites, and then see what God does. So
1: tell us, uh, this has been fantastic. And I know for me, this has been really enlightening, Uh, not just on Urban Promise, Nashville, also just about the crisis, how it happens, how you serve, uh, what you do, what's coming up. But for those who are listening, um, we just want to ask a simple question. What can we do to help?
2: I think just in general taking Urban Promise out of it just you know start asking the Lord like where where would you have me be? Who would you have me love? I think that's a prayer that he loves for his people to ask um, and one that he will answer in his own perfect way and so just looking you know there are so many different cities that are welcoming to refugees throughout our country um i think probably a lot of people as we did like may not even know in their own cities that there are you know there's a large international community so just seeking that out seeking out somebody that's different from you i think one of the most beautiful things for us personally and for our family is just how much our um, view of god has grown since being around people that just have a totally different, you know, background history at bringing, um, sharing their story, you know, of how God has worked in their life. It's just broadened our perspective so much on who he is, how he's working in the world, how he works in other people's lives. So that's been a beautiful thing that I love to bring people into and just encourage people to, um, you know, I would say we, as a family, before all of this, were not trying to live in a bubble, but we just did kind of by default um, of where we shopped, where we went, our kids went to school, where John, where we worked, you know, it was just, so broadening your perspective, I think, is so important for people, and just so I would just encourage people to seek out who might be different and that doesn't have to be refugees you know that's just a bigger conversation of just people that are different than you and sharing sharing a meal with them um, can be such a beautiful thing as far as urban promise for anybody that lives in the area um, we love to put people to work so we love uh, Having people even just, first of all, come and visit the after-school program, that's a really great way for people. You know, it's one thing to talk about it, but to see it in action and see the joy that's there and the energy that's there and the way that we love each other and the family that we uh, have built is just really great, and usually if people come visit, they want to get involved. So we can always use volunteers for, you know, driving buses because we pick up kids every day from school and take them home, um, helping in the classroom, being a reading buddy with the kids, um, being a mentor to our street leaders, you know, coming on Trekkers adventures. There's lots of ways to get involved, even just down to donating snacks for our program. You know, we feed the kids a healthy snack every day. So our snack closet runs, runs dry every now and then, um, so, yeah, there's a ton of different ways to get involved. And by visiting our website, urbanpromisenashville.org, there's a, a tab that you can click to get involved. And it has um, some opportunities on there that people can go to.
0: Do you have social media, anything like that? Yes, or, okay. we do have that too. Instagram
2: cool. and Facebook, both Urban Promise Nashville. Okay, great. So, yeah, okay. we'd love for people to check it yeah, out. Yeah,
3: we'd, we'd love to hear. I mean, like, there, there's a way for you to contact us through the website or even on Instagram. Mm -hmm. and we would love to get people engaged in whatever way. So
1: as we close out with Jonathan and Shauna, go to their website, urbanpromisenashville.org, and find out more about who they are, what they do, um, and also go and follow them and check them out on social media. They do a great job of just continually telling their story um, through the students and those people who they serve. So... Jonathan and Shauna, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for not just recording the podcast, which is very important, but just opening up to your story and how God has been working in your life for many years, long before um, Urban Promise Nashville ever existed. Hmm. Since and we were 13, apparently. Since you were yeah. 13, He knew that this moment was going to come. He did it's true.
3: I would have never guessed it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's awesome. Well, we appreciate you uh, coming in, and we appreciate uh, your time. And uh, we just wanna, we'll be praying about your ministry and what that is all about. And uh, thank you. Thank, yeah.
0: thank you. Thank you guys it's, so much. Thank, thank you. So it was
2: so fun. Such an honor to be here, yeah. and we love sharing our stories. And thanks for asking.
1: Jonathan and Shauna just having known them for several years. And um, I think for me, just having seen them go through that season where God was stirring something in their hearts that was going to be take them outside of the safety and security of their comfort zone. I mean, for them to walk away from Jonathan being a high school principal and for Shauna to walk away from her job— uh, with a nonprofit, and for them to take that step of faith to start a nonprofit at the end of a global pandemic is absolutely—it's just encouraging and it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, that lo- that years before, years before that happened, they had already been engaged with this population, and they were already serving.
0: I mean, I took so many things away. I honestly have not even thought about the refugee population here in Nashville. I'm really, like, in general, I don't feel like it's talked about enough. So just getting the word out like that I thought was really, really good. And just their story is so inspiring. And I felt like God really put them in the right place at the right time to have that place where they're like, I'm just going to take this leap of faith and see where it takes me. So...
1: Yeah, over the last 20 to 30 years, Nashville has become a welcoming city for refugees. And like the world, we're not having to go out into the world, even though we do, and that's still necessary, but the world has come to our doorstep. Mm
0: -hmm. Super inspiring, super educational. Um, But thank you, everybody, for joining us and listening and being a part of our community here on It Takes a Village podcast. Um, Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review and share with a friend. And follow us on social media. Our Instagram and Facebook is Healing Hands Int I N T, and Twitter is just H H I Updates. Uh, special thanks to Maeva for creating the original jingle, and to Kristen Harper and Grace Boucher who produces this podcast. So
1: thanks. And we want to end as we have normally. We want to give another special episode ending shout out. This time to the wonderful Angela Bell. Angela. Angela's been part of the HHI family on staff for five years. And she does an amazing job of keeping our house in order here in the office. She Mm -hmm. teams up with Nancy Markwood (laughs) as part of our administrative team. She also does a lot with donor relations and together, Angela and Nancy are known as
0: Yin and Yang. Or Yin or Sparkle and Rainbow. And
1: they are awesome. They are the life of the party. So, Angela, thank you for what you do for us here at Healing Hands. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of It Takes a Village. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. See you next time. Na-na-na-na